0: Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm Sarah Gorski, and I'm joined today again with my friend Zach Livingston. Zach has been with us for two episodes prior to this, but listeners who don't listen every week, let's get to know him a little bit better before we jump in. So my next question, Zach, for you is, who is your favorite broad?
1: I'm going to go with uh, my two sisters and then my sister-in-law.
0: Oh, I love it.
1: Those, I'm going to go with those ladies. They're all incredibly strong people who I have seen personally stand up to enormous adversity, up to and including uh, some pretty terrifying men. The level, the level of, of backbone with my oldest sister Zoe in particular is extraordinary. I have seen her face down men three times her size in order to uh defend her family, really.
0: She sounds like a broad I wanna know, to be honest with you. She yeah. sounds like a broad I'd like. <laughs> Zoe
1: Johnson is a broad you would like for sure. And she's also the kind of person who would say, Yeah, I am a broad you should know. Good. Get with it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and in then, like a in a pleasant way. She's really, really supportive. She's she's really warm, but she's also really, really strong.
0: Awesome just the way I like them. All right. Who else? You said you had three.
1: My, my other sister, Sabrina. Sabrina is the next oldest child in the family. Um, She has five kids. Um, A few years ago, my sister, Sabrina had a brain tumor removed and it was um, a benign tumor in terms of, you know, whether or not it, it was cancerous, but it had gotten to the size of a small lemon.
0: That is scary as shit
1: yeah and it was uh it had made a nice little home for itself on the large nerve that controls your face
0: holy um, shit
1: and functions of hearing and things like that so she was having these headaches and all these you know problems with balance and stuff like that the headaches were one thing but the balance thing was something else
0: holy shit
1: and so she had to have brain, surgery. brain surgery um and and a couple of other procedures to to follow up that since then you know, it's, it's difficult when something like that happens to you to maintain who you are. And she she works too, you know. Jesus. She, she also works. Like she and Mark both work to support those kids.
0: Five kids working through a brain tumor. Yeah.
1: yeah she's, she's a true matriarch in every sense of it. And then Steffi, my sister-in-law, is the same way. Just an incredibly strong person, raising three young boys with my brother. Just a super strong person incredibly good at balancing being a mom with remaining like a creative and fully functional and curious person. She's a huge activist and an advocate for marginalized people of all kinds. We've gotten into a lot of great debates in the past on
0: things.
1: (laughs) But yeah, just a lot of, I just have had the great fortune to be surrounded by really powerful women.
0: Well, Zach, I am so thrilled you are here again this week with me. Uh, Because I think you are going to like this broad. And I don't think you've probably heard of her. Have you heard of Policarpa, La Pola Salavarieta?
1: I can confidently say that I have not.
0: Well, I hadn't either. And I was doing the Googles and I was looking for amazing South American broads. And her name popped up and I read her story and I was like, bam! Okay, she's my next episode, so. Sometimes it's instant. Sometimes I have long, long brewing broads I'm thinking about a long time, and then sometimes it's like a lightning bolt. And so La Pola is definitely a lightning bolt broad for me. Her birth certificate has never been found, her actual birth certificate, so we don't actually know what her legal given name is. Oh, wow. Her close close family and friends called her Salavarietta. Her dad named her Polonia in his will.
1: Oh, wow. Hmm. A lot of... uh. Historical associations with that. Wait, what, <laughs> what year are we talking about here?
0: I'm going to get there. Okay. I'm going to get there. Her brother Bibiano. I'm so excited,
1: Sarah. I I'm know just you are. to learn.
0: And hopefully, <laughs> listeners are too. Listeners, yeah. I hope you are too. Um, <laughs> her brother Bibiano, who was arguably her closest sibling, called her Policarpa, which is also Policarpa, La Pola Saravieta. Um, And at the height of her work, she had a ton of secret identities. Mm. But most people in her adult life referred to her simply as La Pola, and that's kind of the name history is stuck with her. Kind of generally, uh, her name is Pola Carpa Salavarieta in the history books.
1: Salavarieta.
0: Salavarieta. S A L A V A R R I E T A. Salavarieta. There's probably an There's probably a rolling there. I didn't. Yeah. Do.
1: Salavarieta. Salav-
0: and she is born in 1795. Mm, okay. Her father, Jose Joaquin Salavarieta, and her mother, Mariana Rios de Salavarieta, had eight other children as besides you, her.
1: As you do in 1795.
0: As you do. Uh, and they were a fair, fairly well-off Creole family in the small town of Guaduas, in what then was the Viceroyalty of New Granada. Which today is Colombia, hmm. and the viceroyalty of New Granada also encompassed. It was like a big area that encompassed Colombia, Ecuador, Panama, and Venezuela, and it was basically a huge Spanish colony, right? When it first, right. okay. it was controlled by Spain first. So things were pretty good. Like when she was born around that time, her her family was doing pretty well. They were like fairly middle class, not like upper level class, but like they're comfortable, comfortable class. Okay. Her dad ends up buying a house in Bogota, the capital, which is about 70 miles away from, from where they are in Guajas. The whole family moves there, but things are a little tougher there. It's a big city. Maybe it was more expensive. It was The research didn't really say, but they, the research generically said things weren't as awesome there. And then around 1802, there's a smallpox epidemic raging through the area, and it kills both of her parents and two of her brothers. Wow. And oh, wow. it sh- kind of shatters their whole family. Two of her other brothers who who survived, they join the monastery to become monks. Another two of her brothers find a farm in a neighboring city. Her family basically shatters. And at this time, LaPola is just seven years old.
1: Oh my goodness. When her
0: parents die.
1: Jeez. But her
0: older sister, Katarina, is able to scrape it together enough resources to move her. La Pola and their younger brother Bibiano back to Caduas, where their their hometown where they were born to live with their godmother Margarita Beltrán and their aunt Manuela. So so at least get them back to family to like some sort of support network, right? Did they sell
1: did they sell the house that their father had bought?
0: I, I don't I don't know. I didn't see anything in the Okay. In the but
1: notes they about got, that. they got out of there.
0: Well, they got out of there because their parents were dead and their parents were the the income owner, you know, earners yeah, and yeah,
1: yeah.
0: A f- couple of the siblings were like obviously old enough to figure out what to do, but Viviano and La Pola were both still so young and Katarina yeah. was the female, so she she took care of them and got taken care. Of them. So she got them so she got them back to Gadras. It said some of the sources said that Margarita, their godmother herself, had been a little bit of a quote political troublemaker in oh, Gajuas. Yeah. Okay. Apparently in 1871, she had been part of an active resistance of the Spanish colonizers. And I Googled her and I tried to find more about her, but there was nothing else and I was sadly disappointed. So the mini the mini history version leading up to this moment politically is that in Spain, Ferdinand VII had been dethroned by Napoleon during his huge conquest of Europe, the Napoleonic Wars. Right. Um, and in the chaos of all of it, Spain and Ferdinand VII, they, they weren't, able to kind of keep their grip on their American colonies, specifically in South America. Um, And so a lot of the colonies had been able to kind of split off from Spain and they started to form their own states called juntas. uh, And they were all busy forming their governments and putting together their constitutions and kind of like organizing getting themselves organized yeah but in december of 1813 ferdinand is able to win back his throne from napoleon and now that the napoleonic wars are over he is like we got to get our fucking colonies back yeah so he kind of fo- refocuses all of his military efforts and money in that direction so that's like the mini the mini backstory so Colombia was like sort of independent and then spain comes back in and is like
1: it's like no you're not no you are not we are taking this back all those colonies are just money 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 a lot Uh of these these powers are not able to support all of their uh um, uh, activities and their navies and their armies without the money flowing in from these (laughs) colonies money that's based on subjugating the local populace
0: exactly ding 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 um and that's That's the heart of colonization.
1: Colonizing 101.
0: So, back to La Pola. So, her big sister, Katarina, ends up getting married to Domingo Garcia. La Pola and Bibiano go and they live with them. Her sister's, like, obviously the most caring, loving, awesome person. Right. But Domingo is heavily involved in the resistance. So, when I say the resistance, I'm talking about the local Colombians fighting against the Spanish, right?
1: Right, right.
0: There's like the royalists, the federalists. Those are the Spanish populations. And then we have, I just call them the resistance for the sake of simplicity right now. But they do probably have a lot of different names. If you look up articles, they call them different things, obviously. So Domingo is fighting in the resistance and he's fighting for Antonio Nariño, who is one of the big leaders of the resistance against specifically the federalists, uh, and it's also inspiring that Bibiano joins up the campaign and goes fighting, too. And they're, they're, they have all these battles. I don't even want to start to kind of try to summarize them. Just know there's a lot of back and forth, a lot of battles going on, okay. a lot of like guerrilla warfare on behalf of the locals against the Spanish troops and the royalists and stuff this like is that.
1: This like a, like a civil war situation almost.
0: It really is. It really is a civil war because there's a lot of, of Spanish-blooded people that live there that are trying to hold Spain's power For their own reasons, because they benefit from it, right? They're the upper echelon, right?
1: Those are the royalists.
0: Those are the royalists and the federalists, yeah. So there's one particularly horrible battle that happens, and Domingo is killed. And Bibiano is injured really bad, and he's imprisoned by the Spanish. Finally, he's released, and he comes back to Gajuas, back to his his sisters. Now, during all this time while they're all fighting and doing the dudes are doing dude things, La Pola is actually getting educated. She goes to school. She eventually begins teaching school, and it's kind of—I feel like I never need to say it, but in case we forget, it's kind of miraculous because women at the time period generally were not educated, even, even right. in the upper classes, right. not necessarily. So, so that was yeah, kind not to be taken
1: for granted. Yeah, it's a it's it's a huge coup that she was able to get educated.
0: Exactly, and I and the articles didn't say like how or why or who enabled that, but I imagine like her aunt and her godmother and and Katarina were all. You know, I imagine there was some sort of support system there. So she also, in this time period, picks up mad seamstress skills, which is going to be really Mm -hmm. important in just a little bit. Okay. So um, the exact details of how she starts first kind of getting politically activated aren't really clear in the articles that I had read through. But I'm guessing that like when Bibiano returned and, you know, Garcia was dead, that she got really fired up. And both her and Bibiano both start somehow getting more involved in the local resistance forces in Gajuas. And Gajuas uh, sits like right in the middle of what is now Colombia. It's, it's between this big river and Bogota. So Gajuas has a ton of foot traffic and information coming from it and troops coming and supplies, et cetera, et cetera, all coming through Gajuas on the right. way to Bogota.
1: So it's a strategically important place.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of opportunity to learn what's going on with the Spanish troops and shit and pass that information along to their guerrilla resistance, right? Got it. Um, And apparently La Pola and Bibiana are both really good at it because things start to heat up for them in Gajuas and they decide, yo, it's no longer safe for us here. So in 1810, her and Bibiana moved to Bogota. Now Bogota at this time, it's like the very center of the Spanish royalist movement. So is the, the Spanish side of the Civil War. And it was really mm-hmm. hard to get in and out of the city uh, because all, you know the the royalists who had all the money and all the soldiers and stuff were just, they were making it really hard for people to get to and from because they were scared because there was all this fighting going on outside the city, right? Right. But because of all the resistance work they had already been doing in Gajuas, they had managed to get a letter signed by two of the big resistance leaders, Ambrosio Almeida, and Jose Rodriguez. Uh, and they both recommended La Pola and her brother stay at the house of Andrea Ricuarte y Lozano under the cover of working as her servants. Now, it turns out Andrea Ricuarte's house is like the center of intelligence gathering in Bogota. <laughs> this oh, is like wow. the center. If there, if there were a secret base, it would be that house.
1: Okay. And so and they just happen to end up there.
0: <laughs> nah, they don't just happen. I mean, obviously the the resistance leaders were like, "You should stay in this house." And Andre, it's like, and Andrea's like, "Oh hi, reaction. what are your skills, special skills? Now let's put you to use." Yeah,
1: um, yeah, absolutely. And so right away, so they're, oh, they're getting recruited deeper into the organization. Then
0: right, but they're working; they're actively working. They're not just like so. So they're both her and Piviano are like secretly recruiting people, like pulling them over from the royalist side over to the revolutionary cause, which oh, wow. which they really needed because they didn't have as many numbers as Spain did. Right, every soldier that they won over was like a huge boon for them. Um, and oh, right. she learns how to forge documents and she develops like a general array of very useful spy skills. A skill
1: that just pays off for the rest of your life. <laughs> I remember when I learned to forge documents.
0: <laughs> Dang. Things
1: have gone so much better for me ever since then.
0: What have we done with our lives? I don't even know.
1: Yeah, I know, I right? <laughs> it's like the skills that I have, I'm like, well, I'm pretty good at acting and Microsoft Excel grill, wow. grilled cheese sandwiches. You know, it's like <laughs> forgery. <laughs>
0: Forgery, spy uh, skills.
1: Spy craft, <laughs> running a revolution, you know, I'd be pretty helpless, I think. Yeah. In these well, La Pola is
0: is better than both of us. I think I can yeah. safely say that without hurting her yeah. egos. So no, um fine. I accept that. So while she's working with all these revolutionaries, eventually they find out about her seamstress skills. I'm sure she liked was sewing one day and they were like, dude, you have got to get work as a seamstress in the houses of the Royal Spanish fucks. Ah, and there that you go. is exactly what she proceeds to do, because her and Viviano are still like pretty new in Bogota. The authorities like don't know who they are. They're not like someone who's been arrested five times that everybody knows is a troublemaker, right? They're kind of unknowns. Yeah. So she's able to apply and get hired by all these fancy Spanish royalist families, sewing mm-hmm. their clothes, mending, and she's you know just a regular seamstress, just a regular inconspicuous seamstress. But while she's in their houses, she's listening to their conversations. She's like shuffling through the letters on their desks, collecting maps and intelligence on the plans and activities, identifying who were major royalists and who are suspected revolutionaries, all incredibly valuable information at this point in time for the revolution. Right. And she's so, she's so, so, so good at this job. She does it for years. I imagine it it helps that like women generally weren't as educated and didn't hold positions of power. So like who would think. So nobody
1: suspected her. Yeah. Yeah. The seamstress is like gathering important information, documents and intelligence from the house. Like who would think she she can even
0: read? Who would even know? Like, you know, she's, she's a nobody. So they move to Bogota in 1810. So by 1817, seven years, she's using a forged passport under the name, uh, Gregoria Apollinaria, and she gets in and out of Bogota pretty freely because she still isn't really like a known name to authorities. And she's working with and living alongside all these revolutionary legends of the time. So Andrea Ricuarte Lorenzo and Al- Almeida, like we've already said. And one of her closest connections is this guy, Alejo Sabarain. There were rumors in some of the articles I was reading that they were at some point lovers or dating, but it's never really confirmed um we always like to mention it on the podcast though because everyone loves drama <laughs> but he was also a spy and he was a different he was a huge help in her spy efforts because she didn't transport this information alone she would sneak it out and then they had like a whole chain of people yeah. you know that helped to get where yeah, it needed yeah. to go of
1: course of course yeah
0: um and in the meantime the spanish are like losing their minds because they cannot figure out how their information is getting leaked right but unfortunately all good things must come to an end and the dominoes start to fall. So um, Almeida is caught by the authorities while he's sneaking out to bring info to the insurgents that are outside the city. Because there really aren't any like troops and fighters on their side inside the city because the city's on such lockdown. So they're always sneaking information out to their their fighters. And the documents that he's carrying on his body when he's arrested enable the Spanish to sort of connect a few dots to La Pola. Not enough to be able to do anything. Because she's just because she's just a plain innocent seamstress, and there wasn't enough to be like this is the seamstress that's a spy. Right. One source, which I'll just say it was Wikipedia, said that the Spanish also hoped to use her as a connection in the case that the full revolution broke out in the city. But to me, when I read that, it seemed like a footnote to cover the incompetence of the royalists. So I'm just going to treat <laughs> it. <like that.
1: laughs> Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs>
0: we can make any excuses we want for the colonizers, but they suck.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So
0: the rest of the revolutionary crew is able to help break Almeida out of prison and get him to safety. And they keep on doing their thing. They're smuggling ammunition and winning over our new recruits. But things keep still kind of heating up more and more for them. And Sabarain decides that I got to get out of here. I got to jet. Now, at this point, though, everybody still thinks that La Pola's identity and role in everything is still in the clear. Like, nobody on their side thinks that she's really been discovered. Uh, right. So Sabarain tries to escape, but he's caught and he's arrested. And oh, when the soldiers go through his pockets, they find a paper that La Pola wrote with a list of the royalists and the patriots that she had smuggled out of one of the houses.
1: Oh, no. And
0: it was, like, solid proof that they needed
1: to, yeah. to
0: really arrest her. So as soon... As they finish arresting Sabarain, they go to Lozano's house, they arrest LaPola and Bibiano, and they throw them all in prison.
1: Damn. Fuck. Damn. Fuck. The jig is up.
0: The jig is up. So she's not in prison very long. On, on November 10th, 1817, at her trial, LaPola is sentenced to death by shooting. And four days later will be her execution.
1: Oh my God.
0: One source said that. When she was in prison, she cursed the Spaniards all night long and just railed and railed and railed against the man, against the colonizers all night. And at one point she stops, tired and thirsty, and a guard offers her a glass of wine. And she throws it back at him saying, I would not accept even a glass of water from my enemies.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's hardcore. Hardcore. That's super dedication.
0: November 14th rolls around. Two priests lead her and six other prisoners, including Sabarain, to Bolivar Square. And the whole time they're asking, they're telling her, like, you gotta ask for forgiveness, you gotta ask for forgiveness, pray your rosary, do, 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 all the. And she adamantly refuses. And instead, the whole way there, she's shouting to all of the people that are watching this kind of procession. Yeah. And amongst the things she shouts, one thing she says is, do not cry for me. Cry for the slavery and the imprisonment of your downtrodden people. May my destiny serve as your example. Rise up and resist the outrages which you suffer with so much injustice.
1: That's beautiful. And she's screaming that basically as they lead her to her execution.
0: As they walk her to Boulevard Square. And and then they get to the square and La is led up on the scaffold and she's told to turn her back to the firing squad and kneel. So it's tradition at this time that all traitors have to turn their back to the guns, right? Yeah. And so she turns her back, but she refuses to kneel. Then Mm. the order to fire comes, and she turns around and she faces her executioners, and she looks them straight in their eyes, and she shouts, although I am a woman and young, I have more than enough courage to suffer this death and a thousand more. Do not forget my example. Long live liberty. And they shoot her.
1: Wow. Wow, Braveheart's got nothing on that.
0: No shit.
1: I can't she... believe there isn't a movie about that. Like, how is there not? How has there not been a dramatic? Uh, did I just miss it? Is there?
0: I'm sure that there was one in South America. I'm sure that in other cultures there's been films about it, but we haven't had a yeah. haven't had mainstream I mean, one is, in Hollywood. Is no. she
1: considered kind of like a folk hero in any of these places now, or like what's the lasting perception?
0: I do have a I do have some to say about that. So. La Pola was not, she was not, for the record, the only dissident that met her end this way. During this time period, as Colombians were fighting for independence from Spain, at least 50 other female agents were executed. Spies, wow! In the same Jeez. manner. And finally, two years after her death, in 1819, Colombians finally win their independence from Spain.
1: Oh, man.
0: And today, La Pola is a national hero in Colombia.
1: Oh, that's beautiful.
0: 150 years after the anniversary of her death, the Colombian Congress declared November 14th Colombian Women's Day in her honor. Her face was the first female Latina face on a postage stamp oh in Colombia.
1: That's incredible.
0: Her face also appears uh at least in 1977 it appeared on a 2 peso note in Colombia. Wow. And she is widely lauded as as a national hero basically, which is what she was.
1: That is incredible. That's an incredible story.
0: Unreal. To turn around and face your executioners. I just can't. I don't know. I feel like I'd be. I like to think I'm that strong. But I know I'd just be like crying. And just like. I think
1: most people would just be crying. I think that's okay.
0: (laughs) I know. (laughs) know? But I'm just so amazed by the strength and the will and the bravery.
1: The strength of character.
0: And her and Bibiano and all of the the people that were working together. They knew how dangerous it was. Like this wasn't. This isn't kids play, right? Like they knew yeah, the, the people yeah. were executed for this shit. The whole time they were even back in Gadrus, like they knew that yeah. this was a potential danger and and then she faces her death with such such power and strength. She's mm-hmm. just an amazing broad.
1: Yep, absolutely. 1000%. You it's like it's so funny to me now because people people talk about you know the strength of character and making your own decisions and thinking for yourself and and instead I see it and it, people I'm not going to wear a mask. They can't make me do that.
0: Oh my god. <laughs> it's just yes. people
1: people in this country have I think a lot of people in this country have totally lost sight of what it really means to stand by your ideals.
0: Really what it means to be actually persecuted.
1: Yeah, yes. Like to be uh, actually persecuted and to actually face a loss of freedom, even a loss of life, you know, never mind the liberty. How about yeah. getting shot by a firing squad? And it's just like it stories like this, I just wish it makes me wish more people understood more history. about history. Yeah, in general, because it's yeah. such valuable context. And, and she gains nothing. She didn't yeah. she
0: didn't like make money from her efforts. No, she, she didn't you get know. to see
1: the she didn't even get to see what she was fighting for. She didn't even get yeah. to she wasn't even alive for independence. I mean, that's how strongly she believed in the ideal there's so many people now who who have some weird desire to be in a position like that where they're like oh well i'm standing up for my ideals and i'm just like no you're not what are you standing up for is it something greater than yourself is it truly something greater than yourself and i think too often the answer is no
0: i think i also i also feel frustrated too at the difference between like believing something and acting on it yeah and like are you posting the black square on Facebook or right. are you actually volunteering time and assisting organizations that are on the ground doing the real work? Cause there's a big difference between saying right. something and, and doing something. And she's Absolutely. just did it. She went out and did it.
1: Yeah. Talk about putting everything on the line.
0: But you know what? I believe that the more we share stories like this, yeah. the more that we talk about it, the more yeah. we can, Help wake people up and make people yeah. more aware that it's happening, and yeah, and i I think you know there's when I hear stories like La Pola, even though it's obviously incredibly tragic, yeah i I also am just instilled with such a sense of hope about what is possible absolutely when when someone just really goes for it,
1: and I think we need those stories now more as, than ever, yeah, more than ever, as much as as much as we have at at any point.
0: Well, thank you, Zach, for being here with me and um, listening to my my long story about La Pola. She's just fantastic. and just, I thought you might like her. I thought you yeah. might.
1: <laughs> yeah. Big into that. Big into that. Big fan. Big fan.
0: Zach, thank you so much for being here for La Pola.
1: Well, it's been a pleasure. really appreciate being here. Thank you so much.
0: And I appreciate deeply all the time that you've given me being here for this episode and the other two episodes we've done together. It's been so much fun having you here. Listeners, if you enjoyed Chattering with Zach today You can read more about him And see his picture On our website You also can see All of the links To the things he does His social media handles Etc, etc So broadsyoushouldknow.com Broad's You Should Know Is edited by Chloe Skye And our music Is by Darren Callahan And listeners Thank you for being here Every week We love having you And you're helping us grow When you like and share With your friends And your family You are spreading the Word about these awesome women. For more information about Pola Carpa, La Pola Salavarieta, or any of the broads that we've covered on this podcast, you should visit broadsyoushouldknow.com. We've got pictures of every broad and other info that we find online about them. You also should hit us up on social media at broads you should know, and we'll see you next week for another broad you should know. Oh, and if you really like this episode about La Pola. We have a few other broads you should check out as well. If you're into the revolutionary side of the story, check out our episode about La Adelita, Women of the Mexican Revolution, and Frida Kahlo. And if you are really into specifically the spy part of the story, you should check out Virginia Hall and Irina Sendler.